So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I believe the verse that we're going to start with in just a second is the 12th verse. We're going to read a chunk of that. So we are in the third week of a four-week series looking at spiritual family. We're exploring what spiritual family looks like in the 21st century. And the, the way that we've been doing that is we have been looking at the sort of the macro story of the Bible, which is really the story that uh, we're all part of in the story of God. So we've looked at creation. Last week we looked at the fall. Tonight we're going to look at redemption and we're going to look at restoration. Aaron's going to finish up our sermon series next week. But we're looking at how those things intersect with spiritual family and how each of those gives us a question to really consider. Uh, can we go to the next slide? The, the first week was creation. Why do I have such a deep longing for spiritual family? Uh, last week, we looked at the fall, and we, we asked, why do I find it so hard to give myself to spiritual family? Tonight, we're going to be looking at redemption. Why do I feel most alive when I'm in a healthy spiritual family and restoration? Why do I want other people to experience spiritual family? Aaron's going to be landing the plane in our sermon series next week. Um, so before we dive into our text today, uh, we, we've done this every week, I just want to give a definition of when I say spiritual family, what do I mean by that? Uh, and this is what I mean. Um, it is a group of people the size of an extended family, related by blood and not. So some people in that extended family are related, some people are not, and they choose to share life together as they center all of their life around following Jesus, as they center all of their life around following Jesus. Um, so last week, we talked about the reason why it's so hard to give ourselves to spiritual family. Mainly, we have all been hurt by people who are our family in the past. It is an incredibly normal human reaction to be like, I've been incredibly wounded before, I'm not doing that again. Um, and we are, the thing that we talked about is how we are shattered image reflectors. Um, and one thing that I would add in addition to that is that hurting people hurt people. So hurting people hurt people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, at the very end of the message, we are going to come back to this idea um, of where we left off last week. Like that, that the reason we don't give ourselves to spiritual family is family has hurt us before. People we're related to, people that we're not, who would call ourselves family. Um, and it's going to tie into our message. But what I want to do for right now is I just want to like put that to the side just for a second. We're going to put a pin in it. Um, but we are going to come back. So here's the question that we are asking today. This is our question. Why do I feel most alive when I'm in a healthy spiritual family? Why do I feel most alive when I'm in a healthy spiritual family? So just, again, we, we reviewed very quickly. I want to review again just from a different side. So as we think about creation, this is where we start. That God has created you and all of humanity. He's created you. He's created all other people. And he has created all of creation to exist in a very particular way. Everything in creation was exactly as it should be, and it was, a, it was in a place called Eden. Um, we talked about last week how it didn't actually last this way. All we have to do is look outside and know that our world is not like it began. There was a great shattering, and we could no longer exist this way. We cannot access Eden anymore. We cannot access the life that God has for us there, but God did not give up on his dream. This is what he did. He doubled down on it. He refused to give up on Eden. 
And the rest of the Bible is about how God will get his people back to Eden. The end of the story looks very close to the beginning of the story. So tonight we're going to talk about redemption. And if, if we were to sum up redemption, it would go like this. That God came as flesh and blood in the person of Jesus to be the great rescuer to destroy everything that stands against you. Everything that stood against us. Everything that stood against all of creation. He, he chose to stand against evil and to destroy it. Our enemy and to destroy him. And the sin inside of you that you choose and the sin inside of you that you don't choose. We are now, right now, we are experiencing flashes and glimmers of Eden again. And what, what we're going to do next week is Aaron is going to talk about where all of this is going. Like if, that's, if we're experiencing in part, what might in full look like? Now the thing that we, we're going to talk about and we have been talking about is that God uses spiritual family to help rescue people. God uses spiritual family to help rescue people. And those rescued people become part of the rescue team. The rescued join the rescue team. Now, we, we talked in the very first week about, um, when we were looking at creation, how, how the apostle Paul met Jesus. When he met Jesus for the first time, he was on a road to Damascus. Um, and w when he was on that road, he was on a horse, and there was a flashing light, and it blinded him, knocked him off his horse, and he heard this voice, and it was like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Like, you have, you're torturing the people who are part of the church, you're killing the people who are part of the church, you're imprisoning people who are part of the church. When you do that, you are persecuting me. There's this connection, the first time that Paul meets Jesus, that is this, when you do something to my people, you're doing it directly to me. And there's this idea that was planted in Paul's head. And it was this, that Jesus and the body of Jesus, the church, are the same thing. That we, in a way that is mysterious, that we do not understand, make up the body of Jesus. That when people experience us, that they would experience Jesus, which quite frankly, when we think about last week in the fall, should frighten us sometimes. So tonight what we're going to do is I want to I dive into that metaphor that Paul uses and help us understand what it is that this whole spiritual family thing is about. So I want to invite you to stand if you're physically able for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, a little bit later in his life, um, is, is calling on this metaphor that was planted in his mind. He's writing to a church that he's planted in the city of Corinth. We're going to pick up in verse 12, um, and we're going, to, we're going to read a chunk of this passage together. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen. It's just going to, if you have the Bible, you can read it or you can listen. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we are all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are, not, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, would the the passage that we have just read, would they be more than words on a page? Would your Holy Spirit take those words, particularly the ones that we need to hear most, and when they leap off the page, would you stir our hearts with your Spirit? Would Would you give us ears to hear what it is that you're saying to us tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to think through the body of Christ, and we are, very specifically, we're going to think through the implications of this passage. It was a very, not just a long passage, but a lot going on in that passage. And so what I want to do is I want to pull out a couple of big things from it. So we can't, we can't go into all of it. We're going to pull out some, some big things. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to, in the spirit of this series, use a little prop. Meet Mr. Potato Head, our Jesus for the evening. Um, so tonight we're going to be thinking through the body of Christ. Um, the new family, the new family Jesus is forming is his body, and it looks a very particular way. So remember, one of the verses was like, it's not by accident the way that the body looks, the way that the body functions. What God has done is he has designed every single piece of it to be a specific kind of way. So before we, we jump in, I, want, I actually want to like invite us to get into the deep end with, with this particular thing, um, because I think this is important for us to hear. We need to let the body of Jesus be the body that Jesus designed, not the one we design. So I'll, I'll just say this. Many of us, we want the body of Jesus to look like Idris Elba. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. I'm just going to be honest with you. The body that Jesus, the body of Jesus that, that he has given us. It's not Idris Elba. It's this little dude right here. And, and I think this is, this is a challenge for us. And I want to invite us into that particular challenge. That we have to actually live into the fact that it is not by accident the things that we are going to talk about tonight. God has designed his body in a particular way. And he, I don't know if you knew this, he's smarter than us. 
Um, and he created everything. And there's a reason that things are the way that they are. I don't mean that like we should just be passive about that. I just mean like we really need to see some guiding principles about the way that spiritual family is to exist if we're going to live into the redemption of Jesus. So I just want to, I want to push that challenge out to us tonight. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to make just three observations about the body of Jesus. Just three observations that we can make. The first observation that we can make, and we can, we can just look at our, our little Jesus body here, um, is that the body of Jesus has two arms. The body of Jesus has two arms. Uh, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at two specific passages very quickly. What I want to do is I want to look at two passages, the first day of the church, and then we are going to look at the 25th year of the church, and then we're going to look at one other thing very quickly, and we are not going to spend tons of time. Um, while you're turning there, for this first section where we talk about like the body has two arms, if you're interested in reading about this, I'm going to make two book suggestions. The first one is Joseph Finney wrote a book called Recovering the Past. I see all of you scratching this down. You're very excited. Uh, the second one is by Rodney Stark, who wrote about the triumph called The Triumph of Christianity. Um, if you're interested in the history of what I'm talking about, those would be the two books to really dig into. The body of Jesus has two arms. Let's look at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. The first day of the church is just kicked off, and now they're saying, like, and this is what the DNA of the church looked like. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the thing that I want to pull out is the, the verse that, like, when you look at this, almost no one ever hits. And it's verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And every day, in addition to that, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. From day one, there were two functioning arms, two functioning expressions of the church. There was this giant gathering of people that would happen 24 hours a day. And they would rotate who it was that was leading it that was called Solomon's Colonnade. That's where they would meet, which is a giant shed on the back end of the temple. And thousands of people could fit there. And every single day, they went to a large gathering of people, and they worshiped there. And they received teaching there. And they prayed there together. The other arm was that every single day, they would get together in ex literal extended families and people who weren't related to each other in groups of 30 to 80 people. And they would eat together, pray together, worship together, and go over the scriptures together every single day. Seven days a week, there were two things that they were doing. So from day one in the DNA of the church, we're seeing these two expressions of the body of Christ. There's this, this temple expression that we see in Acts chapter 2, and there's this home expression that we see in Acts chapter 2. Now you might be saying, Doug, that's nice. Things change, don't they? And you're right, they do change. Some things don't. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. 25 years later, Paul is gathered with a group, of, uh, a group of elders on a beach right outside of Ephesus. 
and he's never going to see these people again. He's just told them that. They are, like, what the scriptures tell us is that they're weeping, realizing this is the last time in this life that they're going to see each other. And he's giving them different instructions. He's reflecting on their time together. And, and let's pick up at verse 19. This is one of the things he says in their, their, his reflection. Verse 19, I serve the Lord, this is Acts chapter 20, with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So in verse 20, this is what it says. I have taught you publicly and from house to house. Now, in the chapter before, we know exactly where that publicly is. He had rented out this place called the Hall of Tyrannus. And so it, it, it was, you can literally visit it in Ephesus today. It could fit 2,000 people. And every single day in the siesta hours when the markets would close, thousands of people would come to where Paul was teaching, including the people that he was sending out to plant churches. In addition to that, every single day, what else do you think that they were doing? They were meeting in house to house. The only thing that has changed in the history of Christianity, this is, this is just a fascinating thing, in the history of the church, except under severe persecution, whenever the church has been legally able to, they've existed in what's called, what scholars would call the dual expression of the church which means they would meet in large gatherings together, and by large, I mean anything more than 75 people. So it doesn't have to be hundreds, it doesn't have to be thousands. Anything over 75 people, and in smaller groups of people, usually in like the 20 range. Sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. For 2,000 years, that has been in the DNA of the church. There are two things that are always meant in the DNA of the church to work together. Large gathering, the worship service, a large group of people gathered together, and this house expression. It is not an either-or. From day one, it has been Jesus. His body has two arms. It has two arms. Can you exist with one arm? Yes. Will you die if you only have one arm? No. But there would be certain things that you cannot do. You were designed for two arms, and so was the body of Jesus. Now, there are, there are all sorts of things that we do. We'll be like, you know what? I really had a bad small group experience. I am only going to do the one arm now. Why do we do that? We've talked about this the last three weeks, and probably every time I'm up here. We are creatures of overreaction. This is what we do. I had a bad experience, and so all of it is bad. It's called throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And what we have to recognize is that the large gathering will not have nearly as much meaning. It will not be able to deliver what it is meant to deliver if it also isn't coupled with this other arm. It's as if Jesus wants to give his church a giant bear hug, but he cannot do that without both his arms. It just is like this awkward thing. He needs both his arms to give the church a bear hug. This is what happens when I improv. That did not work. Jesus needs both his arms. Thank you, Aaron. The 
body of Jesus has two arms. Here we go. Your invitation and our invitation collectively is to use both arms. Use both the arms. One, one other little caveat that I'll make. One of the things that we will sometimes do is confuse what each arm is supposed to do. So there are things that happen in large gathering, and we're like, why can't that be in the home? And there are things that happen in the home, and we're like, that's exactly what the large gathering, what the worship service would be like. But it's, Jesus has two arms, but the arms do different things. They're meant to work together. You don't want two right arms. That would be interesting, though. Number two, number two, the body of Jesus, number two, the body of Jesus is not missing body parts. The body of Jesus is not missing body parts. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's pick up with verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Here's the issue. Some of us act like an arm, And this is what we do. The metaphor is that there is a single body, but each of us individually are different parts of this body. So some of us are like the goofy eye. Some of us are the ear. Some of us are the arm. Some of us are the heel. That's me. Some of us, like we all have different things. Some of us are like the arm. And we're like, this is what we're saying. Forget the whole spiritual family thing. I don't need you all in my life. I don't want your care. I don't want your friendship. I don't want your accountability. This is how I'm going to function. It is just me and God. And what I like about the worship service is that I can come into the worship service, and it's not like a home. I can walk in, and I can walk out, and we're good. So here you are. You are this arm, and you have, you've just removed yourself from the body. Now, Stephen, is Stephen, Stephen Popovich... Come up here, Stephen. So, Stephen, you're a doctor. It's true. It's true. So, I'm not just going to make this up. And I owe you a favor. And you owe me a favor, yeah. So, I I want you to imagine, Stephen, that I've taken your arm, and what I've done is I've applied a tourniquet right here. And what I have done is I pull it so tight that there is no fresh blood that is coming into this arm. And then I left it there for three weeks. I'm curious, Stephen, what would happen? Um, that arm would die. That arm would die. Are you sure, Stephen? I'm confident. Thank you, Stephen. You may sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, a very simple point. If you disconnect from the body, you will die. You actually will die. Like, you may not, like, physically die, but there are, there are pieces of your humanity that will die because you were created for that. You were not created to be an arm that gets lopped off and just left to the side. You were created to be connected to the body, that there would be flesh, fresh blood flowing to you and flowing back. 
That, do you, that's how blood vessels work. There's blood going into you, and it's coming out of you at the same time. Like there's this thing that is always happening. That's how the body stays alive and well. But look what else happens. It's not just that you might spiritually die. Look at what it says in verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with us. You are hurting the rest of the spiritual family when you remove yourself because we need you. Because we need you. Like here is, here is a giant spiritual principle as it relates to how to understand yourself, as it relates to what it is that we are doing as a spiritual family together, and it's this. The spiritual principle is this. You are unique, but you are not independent. You might be an ear, or you might be an eye, or you might be a foot, or you might be a toe, a toenail. The fungus in the toenail, you might be the heel. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you are something, and no one before you or after you will ever be like you. But you are not independent. You are connected to something. You are not on your own. And so when you disconnect, it's not just that you are losing your humanity. It's not just that you are slowly spiritually dying. It's that we are as well because of it. We are less than because of it. All right, number three. Number three, remember... This is the body that Jesus has given us. This is not Idris Elba. This is a more accurate, perhaps, representation of what it is that our body looks like. And this is the, the third point that we can make. Sometimes the body looks kind of crunked up. Sometimes this is... It looks kind of crunked up sometimes. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians, you think I'm joking, verse 13, chapter 12, chapter 13, verse 12. So currently, right now, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Basically, that, that what it is that we as a body look like is not the complete representation, the most accurate representation, the most accurate experience of who it is that Jesus is. We are but experiencing flashes and glimmers of that. There will be a time where we will be exactly like it was in Eden again. You as an individual, we as a family will be exactly as it was. But it is not that way now. Here's the thing. We aren't experiencing perfect. We are experiencing flashes and glimmers of what's to come. We know in part, but we shall one day see in full. Here's my point. There is no perfect spiritual family. And some of us refuse to commit to one until we find the perfect one. Good luck. I say that like in a tongue-in-cheek fashion. Like, good, like keep, how's that working out? It, it doesn't exist. Not because like, you're awful, or we're awful, or other churches are awful. It's because we are all still the shattered image reflectors who are waiting for the final, the final healing that awaits all of us individually and collectively together. Um, three years ago, we were in Florida. <laughs> um, and do you know what story I'm about to tell? Uh, so many stories, so many stories. And very randomly, we felt like the Lord was asking us to, 
start um, a house church that was going to only exist for the summer, uh, and it was going to meet every single day. So every single day at 6.30, we were going to get together, and we would eat, we would pray, we would worship, we would read the Bible, we would share stories, good, bad, ugly, whatever. And we kind of like, we, we felt pretty um, sure that what we needed to do was is cast a pretty wide net. And by that, it was just like, we're going we're gonna to invite a bag of random into this group. Um, and the, the group that ended up being part of this house church for that 40 days um, was a real random group of people. It was not the group of people that like, by natural chemistry I would have chosen, um, by things that we had in common I would have chosen, by like spiritual like kindredship I would have chosen. Almost anything I would have chosen wasn't present <laughs> in that group of people. I mean, it was, it was I'm not going to tell too many stories. I mean, that would be somewhat indicting. But after the first night, Elizabeth and I are laying in bed, and I'm just staring up at the ceiling. It's late at night, and we're both like, is there any way we can get out of this? <laughs> and there wasn't. There was no way to get out of this. So for the next 39 days, we were meeting with what we affectionately called the Island of Misfit Toys. Like, we collectively caught ourselves that. It was not like just Elizabeth and I in the quietness of our home. To be clear, we are not that cruel. <laughs> I mean, but it was, it was an incredibly random experience, and it was astonishing to see um, the way that the Lord can knit people together who have nothing in common, who would never have chosen each other, who are not perfectly suited, but the mission that they have is to know Jesus, to be family together, and to collectively go after his mission as a family. And what God is able in 40 days to turn... Now, I'm not saying like there's a magic formula, like, hey, if you just do this for 40 days, it's going to be like, it doesn't work like that. But it was, it was astonishing to see how quickly something could turn and the thing that we were doing could change. Here's the question that we're asking today. Here's the question we're asking today. Why do I feel most alive when I'm a healthy spiritual family? And here's the answer. Because Jesus chooses to use his body to help put back the broken pieces of you back together. God is in the business of putting broken things back together. We talked about that last week. And here is the primary way that he chooses to do it. The primary way that he chooses to heal you is through the experience of spiritual family through the body of Jesus. That may not be what you would pick but it is how God has designed it. And so that's why we have to go back and be like, are we going to let Jesus be Jesus? Or are we going to insist that the ordering of our transformation happens on our terms and under our design? So the body of Jesus, it does have two arms. And so there's a public expression and there's a house to house. It's not missing any body parts. You're unique, but not independent. And it does look kind of crunked up sometimes. So don't look for perfection. So we know Jesus chooses to use spiritual family for our own healing and the healing of others. What does this tell us? So I, I want to I round like third base and start, and start going home now. What does this tell us? It tells us that we actually have to put effort 
into this. So Dallas Willard, I, I say this quote a lot. He, he puts it this way. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. When you feel like you have to earn God's approval, that's not grace. When you have to earn his love, that's not grace. But when he gives you a gift and is like, it's going to take some work to unwrap the gift and to experience it. I can give my son a bike, but if I don't put in the effort to teach him how to ride, my wife is laughing. He's not going to get to experience the fullness of the gift. The, one of the primary gifts that God is giving you is spiritual family. It will take effort. It will take work. It will take some elbow grease to figure out what it looks like for you and yours. It tells us that we have to put effort into it. No one trips into this. What God has done is given you his very spirit to help you wade into these waters. Because all of what I'm saying doesn't change what we talked about last week. Why do people not want to give themselves a spiritual family? Because they've been hurt by it. So I'm not saying this is super easy, just like, dig in, folks. I'm saying you have been given the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit was powerful enough to put the stars into the sky, and it lives in you. And so there's, a, there, there's this thing where, like, the gift isn't just spiritual family. It's also the mechanism that's going to be necessary for you to give yourself to spiritual family, and that's the Holy Spirit. Now, what I, what I want to suggest very specifically is that you have to intentionally commit your time to this. You will not accidentally get this thing that you were hardwired for. It will involve actually putting your time, your energy, your resources, and your schedule around this. So uh, if, if we want to look at this analogy that we have, there's a picture that, that we've, you've probably seen before, maybe not from me, but like a, a story. And it goes like this. You've got a mason jar, you've got a couple of big rocks, and you've got a pile of pebbles. The task is to get all of the pebbles and the big rocks into the mason jar. How do you do it? The way that you do it is you put the big rocks in first, and then you pour in the pebbles, and the pebbles will find all of the cracks and crevices and fill up. The challenge is that so often what we do is we let life happen to us, and we pour in the pebbles, and we try to jam in the rocks, and we're like, I can't. Why does it look like that picture on the right? I don't know. Why don't I have spiritual family? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. We will not get the big rock of spiritual family in our life if we do not commit our time, intention, and resources to it. It will get edged out. That's just the way things go. There are things in your life that you feel like are big rocks, and it's the exact same principle, isn't it? The reason that that big rock is not happening is because there's all this other pieces of gravel that are taking up the space in your life that could be devoted to this thing. And the, the challenge for us, and because we are all in a, the, a broad culture together, a broad cultural experience, is that like life passively happens to us. And it's so easy to fill our life with all sorts of things that might be good things, but they fill up our time, and the things that we want to do, the things that we are called to do, are gone in a flash. Spiritual family is the exact same thing. This is why we want every person at Easton Fellowship in a house church or in another form of spiritual family. So house church is not the only way to experience spiritual family. It is the primary way that we will do that at Easton Fellowship. But that is why we are pushing this, so that the body of Christ can actually look like 
the body of Christ as Jesus intends for it to be. We want to be the gospel made visible by being the body of Jesus. That's what we want. So this is what we're going to do with the rest of our time tonight. Um, I'm going to have the, the band come up. We're going to spend some time in prayer and in worship together. Um, and then before anyone leaves, uh, this is all part of the service, what we're going to do is we're going to invite our, uh, a, a couple of our um, leaders, or house church leaders, to come up. They have made signs, which uh, you're going to get to see. Uh, tomorrow there's going to be a survey uh, that we send out. And on that survey will be a picture of each of the house church's signs. What we want you to do is to vote on the sign that you like the best. The sign that wins, that house church will get a free Cadoba burrito bar that night. So we're going to introduce the house churches. We're going to get them all up. We're going to pray for them. Hold on. We're going to pray for them. And then we're going to spread out the house churches around like in a horseshoe right here. And we're just going to invite whoever it is that is interested in learning a little bit more about a house church. And you can talk to every single one. So you're not committing to any of them. Um, just ask some questions like, when do you meet? What do you usually do? What are things like? Do you have a meal? Do you have childcare? Whatever it is that you is like on your mind, we're going to have our, some of our leaders here so that they can answer some questions for you. That's where we're going, but here's what, here's what I want to do. I want to make sure we don't miss this moment. So everyone take a deep breath. What we want to be is the gospel made visible. That's what we want. There are things that stand against that happening. We actually need spiritual help. You cannot be that. You cannot be the arm existing well within the spiritual family without the Holy Spirit's help. You can want it, but that doesn't mean that you will do it or that you know how to do it. We need help. We're in a constant need of God's grace. So wherever it is that you find yourself as it relates to spiritual family or any of the things that we talked about tonight, we just want to take that to the foot of the cross. What the scriptures tell us is that right now, Jesus not only has died, resurrected, and ascended, but he is interceding for us right now. So he is warring on your behalf right now. So we are gonna, we're going to just sing some songs together. Um, our elders and our prayer team, we're going to spread out. Uh, and if there's anything that we can pray for you about, it can be about spiritual family, it could be about finding a job, it could be about a broken heart, it could be about spirituals, um, feeling spiritually stuck, it could literally be anything. We'll, we'll be here to pray for you. Uh, and then we'll, we'll bring this response time to a close, and then we're going to keep pushing um, and spend some time in prayer for our house churches as well. So Lord, we give you this time. We ask that this would be a sacred time that is set apart, that you, would, that you would rule and reign in this place, that wherever it is that your spirit is stirring in each person and in us collectively, that you would have your way, that we would, again, I, I keep thinking to a sermon Aaron gave like two years ago now, that we would yield, that we would yield to the Holy Spirit and what it is that he's doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh